You ever look back at your life and you said, it's really interesting that we talk about now the most important things in the universe, things of eternal consequence. I never cared about any of that before. How could that possibly be? How could you not care about the most important things? Welcome to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Katsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. Today, we continue in a series called Two Ways to Live, where Pastor Nick has been breaking down the six aspects of the gospel for us. Now, in this fundamental series, Pastor, we've gone quite a ways already. Can you give us a recap so we can figure out where we're at? Yeah, we've been moving through how in this life, there are two ways to live, either under the rule and reign of God as our king or under our own rule and reign. And the Bible charts it out this way. It says that God is the ruler of the world. He made the world and he made us to rule the world, giving thanks and honor to him. That's the first part of this story that God is the king. The second is that we rebel against God as our king. We reject him as a ruler by running our lives our own way. And in doing so, we damage ourselves and each other and the world. The third part is that God is a God of justice. He won't let us rebel forever. God will not let things stay out of order forever. And there's a punishment for rebellion, and that is death and judgment. The fourth part is that And this really gets to the tension that there is a God who loves us as his created beings and a God who satisfies his justice at the same time, love and justice working together. And that is why God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. Jesus always lived under God's rule and he took our punishment by dying for us on the cross. And then the fifth part is that Jesus is the risen ruler and Savior. God raised Jesus to life again to be the ruler and judge of the world. And Jesus has conquered death and now brings forgiveness and new life and will return one day in glory. So now I suppose we kind of get to the, well, now what? Like all of that has accomplished. Yeah. So what is in it for me? Exactly. And so in the next couple of messages, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what does the gospel have to offer to us? If this is the way the gospel is charted out and the message is described that, what are some things that God is offering by his love to us? And we're going to talk about that today. And then from there, we'll talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus as the two ways to live. Listen now to part one of a message called, What Does the Gospel Offer? What does the gospel offer? That's an important question. If I am sharing that there are two ways to live with someone. And we walk through the story of God and creation and sin and rebellion and redemption and resurrection and new life that follows, the very narrative of Scripture that we talked about just moments ago. And somebody says to me, okay, I, I, I understand that you're asking me to adopt a set of beliefs that I'm now becoming familiar with that you're offering to me a level of new trust and a new way of life, and they ask, well, what's in it for me? That's a question that I can respect. You don't make big changes in your life without understanding the dynamics of those changes. And if, if we've done a good job of explaining the gospel, then of course they will understand Our biggest need is to be restored to God as our king. And therefore, forgiveness that Jesus offers us 
is the chance to do that. That is the biggest offer of the gospel. But beyond that, how would you describe what the gospel offers? The answer might be a bit surprising. Because the first thing that the gospel offers is death. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul describes what Jesus does. And he says this, starting in verse 14, it'll be on the screen behind me. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The gospel offers death. He goes on to say, and he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. And from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So Paul says that Jesus' death actually offers us a unique type of death. You might call it death to the way that you were living for yourself. You might remember the first two points of two ways to live. God is a loving creator of the world. He is the king. And we reject God as our ruler and our king by living our lives our own way. The rejection of God as the king, we become locked into a form of rebellion against him, our way of life, our self-sufficiency. And 2 Corinthians says that one of the benefits of the gospel is that through Jesus' death, You die to that type of self-sufficiency. Paul goes on to elaborate on this in Romans chapter 6. He points to a symbol of death, which is baptism, and a symbol of new life, which is baptism. And listen, listen to all the language about death that he talks about here. He says in Romans 6, 1 to 11, What shall we say? Are are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death has no longer dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
So Paul explains how our baptism is a symbol, a physical sign that displays the spiritual reality of death in our lives. And he says that we're dead to sin, which is another way of saying we're dead to ourselves. And there's a spiritual resurrection that happens. And look at how many times he says it. Death, dead, dead, death, died, died, dead, death, 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 died. It's almost depressing (laughs) until you realize what kind of death he's talking about. 14 times in 11 verses, he talks about our participation in death. But when you're dead to self-rule, self-determination, when you're dead to your rebellion against our king, when you're dead to our sin, that's what he's talking about. And what does the gospel offer? The gospel offers death. My need to sin. Dead. My status as a slave to sin. Dead. My self-centeredness is dead. My insatiable desire to serve my own goals and to use other people out there to get there is dead. My personal throne is dead. My hunger for my glory is dead. And if those are the things that define us, As we pursue our own kingdom, our own rule, and those things are dead, then what does the gospel replace them with? Well, the first and most obvious is the channel by which the gospel replaces them. And that is, as we've talked about at great length, the forgiveness of sins. That Jesus came and died And his penalty on the cross offers forgiveness. That means the weight of sin is gone. Guilt is removed far away from us. The wrath of God is satisfied against that sin. And as a result, we receive new life. What is death followed by? It's followed by new life. The Bible is full of verses that describe what this new life looks like. It uses the phrase like born again and coming into new life and having eyes to see and ears to hear and having a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. All of these are descriptors of new life. Some of you might have thought that a born-again Christian is a political designation. It's a spiritual designation. It's a spiritual designation to describe what we call regeneration. 1 John 5.1 John says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father has been born of him. God does not leave us dead with nowhere to go. He makes us alive Have you ever wondered why you really didn't care to know God all that much before you were introduced to his love through the gospel? You ever look back at your life and you said, it's really interesting that we talk about now the most important things in the universe, things of eternal consequence. I never cared about any of that before. How could that possibly be? You're a relatively intelligent person. How could you not care about the most important things? 
because you weren't alive. <laughs> when translator Des Otridge was working in Papua New Guinea, he came across the challenge that all Bible translators have, and that is how do you make a word communicate its meaning through translation into a different language? And he came across the word born again in John chapter 3. And he asked a native co-translator to think about a good way to express that. And the man explained this custom. He said, sometimes a person goes wrong and will not listen to anybody. We all get together in the village and place that person in the midst of us. And the elders talk to him for a long time. And they say, you have gone wrong. All your thoughts, your intentions, your values, they're wrong. Now you have to become a baby again and start to relearn everything right. (laughs) That was the answer that Des was looking for. Today, in the words of John 3.3, in the binumerian language, it reads, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he becomes like a baby again (laughs) and relearns everything from God's word. And so when you are born again, when you receive new life, you come alive to the things of God. You become alive to his word. It becomes alive to you. And you desire to read it. You become alive to communing with God in prayer. You become alive to pursuing what is right according to God's standards, not your own. You become alive to a new type of generosity and you give of yourself because you finally see how generous the king has been with you. You become alive to the spiritual state of those around you because you so desperately want them to experience the affections and the joy and the peace and the love that you've experienced. And so you are enlivened to this new life and desire it for them as well. In the New Testament, Jesus says that the greatest fulfillment a person can have in this world comes in the form of this new life. John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Your best possible life is new life. And that's what the gospel offers. This new life has a number of benefits to it. The first of which is freedom. Paul says that we read just a minute ago in Romans chapter 6. You might have caught the language. There's language about slavery in there. Romans 6, 6 and 7. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who's died has been set free. What does a slave do? A slave does whatever its master makes it do. Period. Because you are a slave to sin, you have to sin. (laughs) It becomes your master. But when a slave dies, is he still a slave? No. Paul says that 
when the slave to sin dies with Christ, that person receives a new life and they receive freedom from what previously enslaved them. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's really interesting to peel back the layers because when you think about it, so many of us thought for the longest time that, wow, man, if I follow God, then I'm not really free to do what I want to do. God imposes all of these rules on me that make my life no fun, as if I know what will be the most fulfilling for me if these rules weren't impressed upon me. And the exact opposite is true. (laughs) The things that we think in our short-sightedness might bring us fulfillment so often do not bring us fulfillment. They actually enslave us. Conversely, when you receive the new life in Christ, not only do you want to follow the way of God, your king, but you realize that in this is a tremendous amount of freedom. And that is a benefit of the gospel. Another benefit of the gospel is presence. When a person experiences new life in Christ, they experience the presence of God in a way that you have not experienced it before. You know this, those of you that are Christians. You've experienced the presence of God. It happens in two ways. First is through what we call our union with Christ. You become united with Jesus in a mysterious spiritual way. The Bible has all this language of being found in Christ and Christ in you. That means that Jesus and you become spiritually united and he never lets you go. He will accomplish his purposes in you all the way to the end of your days. And as a result, you will be with him forever. The second way that you experience God's presence uniquely is for those who have new life, They are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, eternal in his nature. This mysterious person takes up residence in the life of the one who has faith in Christ. Now, the Spirit has many functions, but chief among them is to continually point you back to Jesus. That's what it means when Jesus says the Spirit will lead you into all truth. And when Paul says the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. And we see that the Spirit empowers Christians with gifts to serve their king. All of them pointing them back to King Jesus. And this is amazing because it means that no longer are you a rebel and an enemy of God, but you are his friend. But you're not just his friend. You become his child, and you're not just his child, but your very body becomes the temple of God as the Spirit takes up residence in you. God is not only looking out for you from a distance, but he is for you, and he is not only for you, He is with you, and he's not only with you. He resides in you. And the promise to never leave you or forsake you is 
guaranteed by his very presence in your life through the Holy Spirit as a down payment for all eternity. So when you are in the deepest battle with cancer, you are not alone. God is with you. When you are in the darkest hour of depression, you are not alone. God is with you. When your marriage feels like it is crumbling and you don't know what to do, you are not alone. God is present. When you are up all night crying your eyes out because of another serious mistake that one of your kids has made and you so desperately want them to know the Lord and to love him and to follow him, you are not alone. God is right there. And when you are at the crossroads of life and you genuinely just don't know what to do, whether to turn left or to turn right, you're not alone. God, the very spirit of God is in you. What does the gospel offer? New life. And new life gives you freedom. And new life gives you God's presence. This new life also gives you truth about the world, ourselves, and God. The truth. What is real? That's what new birth, new life offers. The world, as we are experiencing it or have experienced it, apart from God, is not an experience of the complete truth. That's hard to comprehend. Looking backwards now as a Christian, you, you can actually see how that's true, how that's, how that's correct. But when you're blind and you've always been blind, you don't know what it is to see. <laughs> and that's why Jesus talks about this with regard to his mission so much. The Gospel of John is littered with these statements of truth. Right at the beginning of John 1.17, says the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 4.23, and on the hour is coming and is now here, Jesus says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 8, 31 to 33, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. John 17, 17, Jesus prays to his father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 8, 44 is the opposite of truth. The devil, he is a liar and the father of lies. But John 8, 45, because I tell the truth, some people don't want to believe me. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of truth. 
In John 18, 37, Jesus, moving toward his crucifixion, stands before Pilate, and Pilate says, so you're a king? And Jesus answered him, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. This is why I came. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So in a world that denies the very existence of objective truth and objective falsehood, Jesus uses the exact categories of objective truth and objective falsehood. Once again, this is A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky. Thanks for tuning in today. I want to bring Pastor in here because with your gift this month to A Better Word, we've got a resource for you that I have to ask you about to start with. It's called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. 50? 50. It feels like a stretch. It feels like a stretch until you actually look at the resource and realize, wow, there's a lot more reasons that Jesus came to die than I thought. And in this book, John Piper does a really good job of, in short little spurts, each chapter is two pages probably. And it helps us to see Jesus' death is so much more than just to pay the penalty for our sin. Now, that in and of itself would be amazing. And it's even more amazing than that. Would you like to check out all 50 reasons why Jesus came to die? Again, a book by John Piper. This could be yours with a gift this month to A Better Word. We'd love to hear from you. Go visit the website, and when you get your gift in, We'll send this to you as well. So go to abetterword.org. That's abetterword.org. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.